Welcome to Donne Talks, provided to you by Donne Women in Music. I am your host, Gabriela Dilaccio, and in every episode I interview guests who are amplifying change. People who are using their voices and their positions to create bigger impact in our society. Today's guest is Brazilian pianist and composer Catarina Domenici. Catarina has a dynamic career as a soloist, chamber musician, teacher and researcher. We are in the 21st century, come on. Yeah. We don't need, we shouldn't have to resort to that kind of thing anymore. We should put ourselves right there. This is music by women. We are talking, in my case, now I'm going to speak for me. I'm talking about my experience, my universe, my story. That's my thing, you know, just put it out there. And whoever likes it, likes it. Whoever doesn't, doesn't. But we need to be out there. A champion of Brazilian contemporary music, Domenici has commissioned, premiered and recorded several works for piano solo and chamber ensembles. Catarina has performed with several orchestras in Brazil and has recorded live broadcasts for public radio and television in Brazil and the US. She's a frequent guest at contemporary music festivals in her native country and abroad. And she's a professor at the Federal University of Porto Alegre in Brazil. Welcome, Catarina. It's a pleasure to have you here today. If you don't mind, uh, it would be really good if you could tell us a little bit more about your journey in becoming a musician first. How, how did that happen in your life? Okay. So I was raised in a very small town in Brazil, which is called São Miguel Arcanjo, which is actually a city that was founded by my uh, great-great-grandmother. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That is in Sao Paulo, the state of Sao Paulo. And the first contact I had with music was through assembly school because my father was the maestro of the assembly school. So the first contact with music came through samba. So after we moved to a bigger town, my mother uh, enrolled me and my sister in piano lessons. I fell in love with piano. I fell in love with music. And actually, during that first year that I studied with a private teacher in Itapetininga, mm -hmm. I was uh, playing the music written by others, but also creating my own music in improvising. So uh, my first year really set the tone, I think, for my whole life. Like music is just one big thing. And I think from that point on, I always wanted to be what I call a complete musician who is able to read, write music, create, improvise. Um, how, old, how old were you then? I was 11. Wow. When I first came in, in contact with the piano and with the formal education in music. So the next year, uh, my mother enrolled us at the Tatui Conservatory, which is very famous. It's a great school. But from that point on, what happened was that um, there were no composition classes at the conservatory. So I was a piano student and my life, I, I noticed in ret ret retrospectively, the further I went down the road of becoming a performer and a professional pianist, the more separate things were became in, in music. So if you perform, you do compose. If you perform, you do improvise in classical music. It was very, um, it, it was kind of a narrow road. Uh -huh. And 
from then on, I, I went to a university in Sao Paulo, UNESP. I became, became the pianist of the percussion ensemble there. I already loved contemporary music from the early days at the conservatory, performing Bartok, um, Santoro, mm Jelinek, -hmm. Widmer. So to me, it was a very natural thing, just doing contemporary music with a percussion ensemble during the four years of my undergraduate studies wow. in Sao Paulo City. Then I received a government scholarship to do a master's degree at the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York. And later on, uh, I, became, uh, I, I came back from Brazil after my master's degree. I taught at the Conservatory of Tatuí for a couple of years until I was um, hired by the university here at Porto Alegre. Uh -huh. And after three years here, my first three years here, my probationary period here, I got another Brazilian government scholarship to do my DMA at the Eastman School of Music in Rochester. Mm -hmm. And later on, I did a, a postdoctoral period at the University of Buffalo in Buffalo, New York, very close to Rochester. Yeah, oh, I love that place. <laughs> and all this time you were also performing, you know? Always performing. I have uh, around, I think, 15 CDs, some solos, some with ensembles, some uh, chamber music, duos, always performing, always recording works of other composers. So always performing, recording, um, collaborating, uh, but not composing. Not composing. So you, uh, I like um, when I invite people to to join me in the sessions. I normally like to ask them what they would like to talk about it, and we find a, a title. So Katarina's chosen title was "Finding My Voice," and then uh, I want to ask you this. Um, what do you mean by finding your voice and how is your voice and how has this voice changed uh, or have you found a different voice as a composer? Uh, tell us more about that then. Okay. So voice for me, voice is embodiment. And to me, uh, the quest to find my voice is the quest to reconnect with my body and its history, my history. So uh, I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And one of the things that trauma does to people is to fragment the psyche. Mm -hmm. So um, a, a little part of me or a, a very significant part of me was stored away. It's not just the event of the trauma itself that gets repressed and stored away. It's actually a part of yourself. Mm -hmm. that gets numb. And in my case, it was a significant part of my body that went numb and a significant part of my story and a significant part also of the things of the experiences in the world that I instinctively had to block because it created an association with the trauma. So mm -hmm. your life gets very much restricted, uh -huh. right? And to me, it, 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 because what happens to the body when it goes through trauma is that you have basically, you oscillate between two responses, hyperactivity or hypervigilance when you, you were super stressed, super tense, anticipating bad things that might happen to you, 
or you are in this almost cataleptic state of numbness. You just, your body shuts down. Mm-hmm. So I, I always joke, and it it's not really a joke. It's a very serious thing that art and piano playing saved my life because it was actually through the work that one needs to do in order to become a professional pianist that this the challenge of regulating my body presented itself because (laughs) I had to learn what a normal functioning of the body was. So Uh uh, during many, many years, my performance experiences oscillate between these two poles. I dissociated myself in performance. I remember having a lot of performances where my body just went numb. I was elsewhere. I just play and I don't remember what I did. Other times it was just I struggled to do things because I always felt my body was hindering me from uh, making the music alive in this reality. So music was always present in my imagination. But the real work became how can I bring the music from here to there, to the world. So it was decades of hard work. And the funny thing was that I just realized that in order to become a functional adult, I had to create an avatar. And this avatar, it was the highly functional adult, highly accomplished, blah, blah, blah. But it mimicked the compartmentalization of the trauma. So the Katarina who composed, it was locked in a closet. The Katarina Mm -hmm. who improvised did not talk with the Katarina who played the music by Schubert. The Katarina who played the music by Schumann, Schubert, Beethoven, Chopin did not talk to the Katarina who played contemporary music, at least not consciously subconsciously they were all talking i was just not aware of it (laughs) i did not appropriate it the talk was going on of course but it was a secret kind of but would you would you hear those voices and let's say you were playing a beethoven piece and then suddenly you wanted to do something different and he would just put it away oh yeah But and and but but how how about when? But of course, you have less freedom to change an environment like that in in terms of music. But when you were in the contemporary space, you would have more freedom. But would you still feel limited? No, I wouldn't feel limited. Like I I played several pieces that required uh, real-time improvisation. Yeah. Right. And I've always felt super comfortable with that. Uh, as comfortable as I, f- I, I feel playing fully written music. No problema at all. But the point is, I did not quite, I did not recognize myself as the sum, the total of all those entities. I, see. I, I realized at one point that uh, um, I had become to the media. Katarina Domenici, the contemporary music pianist. And that label started, something did not feel quite right about that because I realized that that was one of the kinds of musics that I adore. Yeah. It was not everything. 
there was so much more to that. And where where was everything else? Mm -hmm. So then I started thinking. When we did, we did a, a concert here in London just before all this happened, all the, the pandemic started, didn't we? The title of the concert was Mestiza. And I remember uh, you saying, and I, I actually made a note uh, when I said, oh, okay, we need to explain this title. And then you said, well, Mestiza is about having a hybrid identity, not belonging to any pre-established category, uh, supporting cultural inclusion and the fluidity for crossing boundaries. And that's how I feel my music. I think this is, first of all, I think it's amazing. And I think that's how a true artist normally feels, right? But I think at the beginning of our careers, we are not really encouraged to feel like that. We feel the same. We are really encouraged to fit this box or that box. And this mixture of everything is not really uh, accepted as, oh, high standard. Or And then we, we kind of limit ourselves. At least that's how I feel. How do you feel about that? Exactly. In my case, the question of hybrid identity presented itself early on because of I'm a mixed race. So it was I, I'm considered not white enough to be considered white and not black enough to be considered black. Although in the United States of America, I'm black. The blacks welcome me as part of their community. Yes, I love that. And here in Brazil, I'm this weird thing. The, the little buddies in, in, in preschool always let that very clear, like uh, cabelo de bombril, you know, the hair of a cleaning thingy that we have in Brazil. <laughs> All kinds of Cruel. very racist nicknames, right? So the question of my hybrid identity is both ethnic and cultural as well, musical as well, because mm -hmm. I began the, the, the contact with music, making music as a part of the Sunbury School around age oh, yeah. seven, eight, yeah. right? With no formal training in music. And then later on came the formal training in music, the exposure to the repertoire of classical music. But at the same time, oh, this is the first, my first record. I recorded it when I was 16. I was I received a prize in this music festival. Oh, wow. I was 15, and then when I was 16, we recorded this. So it's popular music. And I sort of had to hide it from my professors at the conservatory that I also played popular mm -hmm. music and composed. It's very hard to deal with uh, integration when you have a non-inclusive culture. Very yeah. hard. So you need to change the culture to be more inclusive, to yeah. see, like to say, you can play all kinds of repertoire. You can think about music differently on an institutional level. You have to do that. Otherwise, uh, you just create uh, frustration a lot for, from the students and people in general. And you uh, kind of feed unconsciously or sometimes consciously this kind of prejudice against some kinds of musics or that one kind of music is has more value than the other kind of music yeah yeah 
I I agree. I think the, the the classical music world. It depends. That's no. There's no rule here because I think it depends on on your teacher. And I'm sure now you are a teacher, and uh, you can help to change that and and feed people's creativity in different ways. You know, not everybody will be a concert pianist. Not everybody. Uh, and when you enter a university, you actually you don't know. You, you you know so little about that career sometimes, and then you kind of start discovering your own voice inside and it's very hard if you are inside and then you're being told no you have to do this repertoire only 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 the, the others will not uh, they're not part of the list or whatever and that's how you end up never hearing about female composers anyway but we talk about this and i <laughs> so i think you already said but i think many women will uh, and many composers as well will agree that did you feel any any type of prejudice as well as being a woman and also in your case also for being a mixed race or just being a woman was enough for for you to have to fight harder for for Look, I'm a Latina mixed race and who thinks about music in this really integrated way talk about prejudice my man <laughs> it's hard it's hard out here <laughs> Yeah, but when I when I when I met you, we met with first when I was singing, and then you just came, and I I knew of you, and the reputation you had was extremely high, so you were doing something really really right for a long time, and because I think mm -hmm. I actually we met 2014 before we even thought about collaborating or or anything. We just met. Hi, yeah. how are you? I'm. Katarina and I thought, oh, I heard of you. So yeah, by that point, the composer did not exist yet. No. So what happened? <laughs> <laughs> what happened? What happened was that uh, by the end of 2014, 2015, I had uh, re what they call in psychotherapy as re-traumatization. I was betrayed by a person most clo closest to me. And that triggered, like my avatar imploded. <laughs> my whole life, my whole notion of reality, because that's what trauma does. It's not just an awful event. It changes your perception of the world, of who mm -hmm. you think you are, of your life. It's like nothing is as it seems. Yeah, everything is different. Like you lived a lie, and it was like, oh my god, this is horrible. So there was that episode, and in this place of uh, really crumbling ashes, uh, my subconscious started this endeavor of composing, mm -hmm. creating, trying to make sense of this new reality. And art really helped me through it. And the first project that I imagined and I began composing was pieces dedicates, dedicated to the women who taught me things. I imagined me being holding hands with them in a circle like a Siranda. That's because that's why this project is called Siranda das Mestras. It's like the siranda of my masters, of my teachers, my the women who helped me through thick and thin. Mm -hmm. Because that's the other thing about trauma is that 
it's very hard to talk about that openly. Yeah. So I had to use my imagination in 2015 to talk to these women through music uh -huh. to help me get through that. So yeah. I had nothing else to lose. Yeah. So I said, I have nothing else to lose. So what am I going to do? Okay, how about start being yourself? And being yourself means recognize and acknowledge each part of yourself. Bring everybody together. We need solidarity to get through this. We need union. We need all the voices of the old Catarinas who yeah. are in the dark. We need to put them together. If you are enjoying this podcast, there are three simple things you can do to support our work. First, subscribe. This way you will never miss an episode. Second, tell about us to a friend or family member. You always have someone to share the stories of this interview and this way we can raise awareness and inspire more people in our way. Third, give us a review on iTunes or whatever other channel you subscribe. This way you will be helping others to find our podcast. Now, let's get back to my conversation with Katarina Domenici. You're going to talk about the project Ciranda das Mestras, but out of curiosity. So this 2014, so before that, how was your knowledge of all the female composers or all the female musicians? How much did you know about them? Did they, when did you, I don't know, I had my recognition of ignorance about that time. Coincidentally, it was 2014, 2015, when I, when did it happen for you? <laughs> Oh, my God. Ay, ay, ay. That's a very <laughs> tough question. But I, I, I will try to answer that in another way, like keeping scores. I always kept the scores of things. Like in the assembly school, it was just me and the wife of an uncle playing instruments. All the other women were wearing bikinis, dancing in front of the assembly school. I oh, did yeah. not want that place. I want to play the instrument. So it was just two women and like 40 men. Okay. So when I was playing with a percussion ensemble, mm -hmm. it was just one percussionist, female percussionist, and myself and 11 boys. And the conductor, of course. Mm -hmm. And playing for a jazz quartet that, oh, no, before that, I played for dancing balls because I had to support myself. My mother threw me out of the house when I chose to become a pianist and go live in Tatooine to do that. So I got a gig playing for dancing balls. I was 17. I played the keyboards and there was the singer and all boys. And then in Sao Paulo, same thing. And then the jazz quartet, just me and three boys. And um, the contemporary music that we played, that I played with the percussion ensemble, I can only remember playing pieces by two women composers, Kyuza Sati mm -hmm. and Iza uh, Nogueira. I think the, only those two. We did a lot. We did like a, a, around 100 concerts a year. Wow. Yeah, we performed a lot and, and just very few women. And in the composition classes at the university, no women at that time at all. Only you? So, n no, I, w I was a piano student. 
Oh, yes, of course. Yes, I was a piano student. I was a piano student. And then when I went to Eastman for the DMA, also as a piano major, right? I went to take, I wanted to take advanced harmony, which was a class for composers. Mm -hmm. And I got a special permission because I was super good at, I'm still very good in theory. So I, I got a permission to attend that class. And there was the only lady in the class. Yeah. So I, I kind of, it kept me, oh, no other thing. I researched composer, performer, interactions in contemporary music for almost 10, more than 10 years now. Throughout that period, only two, I interviewed only two women. I was not even aware as a researcher of the importance that to go and interview women as well. Yeah. Uh, just Diana Saw, which is a composer from Singapore who lives in Paris and works at IRCAM, and Maria Kalyompa, who at the time of the interview was a DMA um, student, PhD student at Oxford University. That's amazing. It's, just, it's quite extraordinary that as artists, we never really thought about having other women. I mean, in my case, it's, it's difficult because it's, it's different because you have more singers as role models, even though they were mm -hmm. not close to me or where I was in, in Brazil so much, but you could lo look up. But you know, I never thought of women composers or, I mean, mm -hmm. now, or even conductors. I, I was a bit more familiar with instrumentalists that uh, was familiar, but the, you know, composers, it's shocking. I, uh, I can't, um, it's very hard to, to, I imagine it's very hard to talk about the past and all the trauma you had. And I can't even imagine uh, how does that feel. But do you think the becoming a composer helped you so, to resolve some of it, some of the trauma you had? Or do you find some sort of peace in being uh, able to, to put things into music? Because mm -hmm. we, we premiered your work here in February and they were extremely powerful. I had uh, the, the pleasure to do that, but it was very, it, it's, it's extremely hard as well for me to be able to, to go. It's, it's a journey which is, is beautifully uh, described musically, but you can feel, you can feel the pain, you can feel the, the struggle and uh, tell us a bit more, how does it feel when you actually have, because you almost have to relive things to be able to tell us the story. That's how it feels to me. Mm -hmm. And how is that for you? Um, hmm. I was thinking the other day um, about what the trauma did to me. And I found one very interesting thing. I found myself writing a lot about it and without even thinking and reading later, I had the haha moment. <laughs> it, my hearing is very acute and sensitive. When I was suffering from migraine, which is a very common thing for yeah. survivors of abuse because tensions everywhere, my horrible migraines, upset mm -hmm. stomach, blah, blah, blah. I went to a doctor and one of the things that he did was audiometric testing. Yeah. And 
in my left ear, I heard the triple of a normal person. And my right ear, I heard the double, twice, the normal person. So it was very sensitive. And I realized that one of the things that trauma did to me, I had to develop a very acute listening mm -hmm. to see if uh, my abuser was walking towards my bedroom mm -hmm. in the middle of the night. So it was very sensitive to sound, extremely yeah. sensitive to sound. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the good things, I think, because from that, I started perceiving this whole new world that later I oh, it's music. Oh, that's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And from the composer perspective, I don't find that I had to, I have to kind of relieve the trauma, but the, 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 aftermath of the trauma, the sentiment of being different from others, having a mark placed upon your forehead as damaged goods, as the wish to die, um, suicidal thoughts, um, the, the pain of, of the isolation, mm -hmm. and somehow the hope that things will get better someday i think that is so beautifully portrayed in the the song healing that Suze, that was released through donny it was a song that i composed driving my car back in rochester in 1999 the first version it came as a pop song in its first incarnation and <laughs> words words and music together and i got home i wrote them down Later, I had to revise it, uh, and it became this song, Healing Lullaby for My Younger Self. I think that portrays that beautifully, the, the pain of wanting to die, of seeing nothing else is the same. You can only see black and white. Uh, it's like, which is another form of those um, contrasting, polarized ways of the, the traumatized body that yeah. there were that works so that that becomes like your whole life it's a template for your whole life and and somehow you you really have to work through that and to see the colors again and to see the nuances of behavior of yeah. emotion and of muscular actions i i just realized that before my whole technique was based on a detention on this part of my hand and mm -hmm. the forearm because I, my posterior muscles were really hyperactivated oh. and my anterior muscles were hypotonic. That changed only in 2009 when oh. I began Pilates that this musculature started to awaken and then my hand reorganized through here. Oh, so there was a huge change in technique and sound production and affection. You feel things differently. You do things different. Other possibilities open up. So to me, composing is about releasing this repressed tension, this repressed sorrow and trying to resolve it. The songs we did in, um, we premiered in London, they are available on my YouTube channel. People subscribe. I think the first link you can go to Katharina's website. 
which is www.catarinadomenici.com. Katarina, do you think after you did healing, because healing is part of, as Katarina said, as the Donne collection. Donne has five CDs, which features only music by women. And there is one CD uh, with Susie Giorgiadis, a Brazilian soprano, and Angelina Sensali, an Italian pianist. And they play composers from Brazil and Italy. And in this CD, there are two songs by Katarina, Healing and the song for Marielli. Do you want to talk about Marielli, Marielli Presenti? Uh, my experience of working with Katarina with, um, it's, it's really fantastic because she stayed here in my house. And, and what is, it's like uh, having a, I don't know, um, a forever creative bubble around you because she never really stops. And it's really interesting to, to, to be part of it. You know, it's kind of, oh, I just finished that song. Oh, what? No, but not the one we're doing in the concert. No, 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 the other one. Oh, okay. <laughs> don't scare me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have time to learn now. <laughs> so I remember when we talked for the first time and then you were going to, you had healing to be part of the CD and then the song Marielli came. But now I feel like after that is like you opened this Pandora box of, of writing and I don't know, I think you have probably five CDs uh, in your drawer ready to be recorded. That's, my, that's how I feel, at least. And I think this, this would be really interesting for you to, to share with all artists out there, not only composers, because I think sometimes many people think, oh, I wish I could be this. And But now I think I'm too old or it's too late in my career for me to change. Anyway. You talk about Marielli, the song Marielli Presenti, which I think is, is a lovely story. And then people might get an idea how you work, which is <laughs> like a lightning bolt. Sometimes. So Marielli was assassinated on the day of my birthday, March 14th. Marielli was a congresswoman, congresswoman in Brazil. Congre um, uh, Councilwoman, council of the, the city of Rio de Janeiro, very and active community leader. Um, she, she came from a favela in Brazil, exactly, and she was fighting a lot for black community and, and women, uh, a LGBT activist, uh, mm -hmm. and was murdered on your birthday in 2018, right? Exactly, exactly, and it was such a shock. I think to the whole nation and, and, and to me that left me mute with no voice. I, I could not speak of it. I could not scream. I could not do anything. And four day pass until I woke up in the middle of the night with this urge and I went to smoke a cigarette and the lyrics and the music came and then Gabby called me. Oh, Gabby, like, me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Gabby, Gabby called me like, where's the other song? And I was like, what? <laughs> other song? Wait a minute. It's coming right up. In 24 hours, you're going to have it. And there it was. Marielle present. It came like a lightning bolt of fury, pure indignation over the assassination of Marielle Franco. Yeah, and if you haven't heard the song, uh, yeah, go to Katarina's YouTube because it's very powerful and we normally do it here because it, it requires um, audience participation and it's very empowering to have the whole audience screaming, women present. And I think it's, it's 
look, we're gonna. I, I can't believe how time goes so fast. Uh, I want to talk really quickly that I know that you do a research with uh, on interactions between composers and interpreters, and you do that for a long time. And I guess mainly you are working more as an interpreter, and now you are on the other side. How does how does does that change for you? Uh, to me, it's a wonderful exercise to be on the other side, to write music for others to play. Because that relationship between composers and performers is mediated by the score, right? So it raises a lot of question of the role of the notation. What really is the music? Is the music the text, the score? Is the music more than that? What role does the performer have on bringing out a work of music to the world? What role the composer has in doing this? Is there a power relationship between the two? What is the culture of concert music or classical music? Has, how does the, the culture of classical music see those two roles? Yeah. Is there a power relationship? So all those things I research. So to me, it's a wonderful opportunity to be on the other side of the fence and be thinking about those same questions that I raised as a performer now from the composer's point of view. Yeah, I can imagine that. And I also can imagine that also as a professor, you have so much to contribute to your students as well. Now, do you find... Yes, of course. I think we all have some teachers who inspire us and, and give us the freedom to be who, you, who we are. And I think classical music sometimes can be quite, um, we, we search for a perfection that never happens. And this can be quite hard. But what we aim for, at least at the beginning, is for that place, that moment when we are going to reach that perfection which will never happen, of course, because we, we, we continue to change and to, to improve and change as artists as well. So do you find you can, uh, what is your best experience as a teacher and, and how do you think your experience can help them, your students? I think as a teacher, I'm, I'm so into getting tuned with the student to find who 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 is there what what is their voice what's their story and then working to connect with their bodies because there is it's not just me and my trauma story i think western civilization has a very hard time feeling the body and feeling how emotion travels all the time through your body and activate your muscles. So that uh, body-mind connection is, is not really something that is readily available to everybody because I think a lot of the um, our educational system is actually built on the separation between mind and body. So yeah. the body is always uh, thought as an as a instrument, as a tool to do the mind's bidding. But it's a power relationship, actually. So you learn not to respect your body or not to listen to your body or not to really explore your emotions in your body. And I think to be a musician, one needs to do that, to be in tune with yourself, 
and then to be in tune with others and the music around. So uh, that's how I, it's what I look for in working with a student. And also very important to me is to develop critical thinking. Mm -hmm. Critical thinking about the music culture, about what it is to be a musician, what it is to be a classical musician or a pop musician, and why can't you be both or be whatever you want to be? Mm -hmm. So it's to think critically is very important to me as a teacher, to develop critical thinking. We're going to open for questions. Do you have any tips? That's a very good question. Do you have any tips for how to hold on and keep creating during these hard times, not only in Brazil, but in the world? Because I think all of us, we are looking for this, the answer for that question. You know, many people, <laughs> I think that some people find more difficult. Some people find, oh, I love this time. But the, I think the anxiety of what's going to happen next in everybody's mind. So what's your advice? How are you doing? To me, Uh, the other day, I was joking with James, who's my husband, about it, um, that I, I was going to write a text called No Place to Go But Within. There is no place to go outside. So you have to, at least that's how I'm dealing with this quarantine and pandemic, is going within, is taking a journey within myself, taking the time to really get in touch with the things that I normally don't have time to deal with when I'm traveling and going about my life as usual, the normal life. Yeah. But this is also the normal life. So I'm taking the time to read, to write, to do a dream journal, to compose. It's, it's really a time to recoil, a time to take care of myself and to let my imagination wild. And also keeping in touch with friends because we can do that through i will post a message that gabby hi gabby posted before she said i think women composers should network and collaborate more so that's the time to get in touch with uh, yes, other gabby. composers and you know discuss ideas i think collaborate and it's really interesting as well as a, as a singer um you know you get into this role of classical singing and It's very rare that people encouraged me to collaborate from a, a young age. And I wish they had because I would have searched for, imagine when I was studying, if I could search for a composer to work with and to experiment things, that would have been amazing. And I'm really sad it didn't happen earlier on. I have a question here from Eric. Why did you only become a composer only five years ago? Why, why did you wait so long? And if Pani Mendelssohn influenced you oh i love the work of funny mendelssohn i really love love a lot i listen a lot i perform some of her pieces as well that's one composer that is definitely on my radar about starting to compose only five years ago this is one of the my notebooks that is like very ancient and i have several of these with little ideas that I notated, but never took it forward, never finished a piece, never, never, never even considered sometimes that I was writing a piece. I never saw myself as a composer. Perhaps a lot, a lot of, I think, has to do with the lack of representation. 
uh, no women composer composition professors. Uh -uh. Right? No women composition professors. I just found out quite recently that like Diane Warren, one mm -hmm. of the like really, really um, well succeeded songwriters, makes a lot of money writing songs that everybody sings. Celine Dion, uh, Whitney Houston, blah, blah, blah. she makes a lot of money. Uh, I never heard of her until quite recently. So there is really a lack of role models like Ildur, Oscar, soundtrack, mm -hmm. Oscar. It, this is going to change for the little girls. Oh, so we hope. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we really hope. Because if I had role models, I think that would have stimulated me to take myself seriously to take my compositional, what you may call talent, seriously, yeah. much earlier than only five years ago. Oh, it's okay, you're making up for the time. You're very fast. Carolina has a question. First, she says you're amazing, amazing, amazing. Could you talk a bit more about how your uh, creative process works? Everybody creates differently, and it can be quite inspiring to see from a different perspective through another person. So I found out this during this five-year period that I have been composing that every piece of music that I create is like a kid, it's like a child, has its own personality, has its own time. Some of them are born ready and <laughs> some of them you have to labor like for two, three years until you really find that, mm, aha, now it's finished. Some of the pieces I composed in, back in 2015, like For Marcia, right? For Marcia, it was born ready in two days and never changed. For Sarah and Meredith, it took me years to get to the final, what I consider the final version. I revised it so much, so much. Marielle was born ready. Mm -hmm. But healing, <laughs> it took forever to even consider the possibility of revising it and turning into a piece of uh, concert music. So uh, every one of them, it, 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 and I find myself being very sensitive to them because they are like living creatures. Musical ideas are living creatures. You have to listen to them. It's not about your will. I don't work that way. I don't work like... I want to create this. No, 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 no. I want to like, listen to the material. What does the material want? What does the material require you? What kind of world does it suggest or create? What is the potential of this material? So every piece is different to me. Yeah, I, I think it, there's no rule. I mean, for artists, isn't it? Many things can inspire us in different moments and just for um for those who don't know that i think we, we talked really briefly but let's talk really briefly before your project siranda das mestres which is um can you talk about it in like three minutes because she mentioned the, the works for marcia for sarah for meredith and those are all the women who are part of your journey and then you decided to create this project which is a series of compositions you have one minute to talk about that. <laughs> okay. No, I'm kidding. You have no. two minutes. 
Okay, I think the last time I checked, there there are eleven or twelve pieces ready and ready for a CD. They go from solo piano to a piano quintet to popular music set up with habeka and percussion and piano and voice, and it's very varied, a stylistic plural, very inclusive. You can hear all kinds of voices are there and and i think that is my voice it's like a lot of voices a lot of experiences with different kinds of musics and i'm very curious and i'm very open to all kinds of music i remember when i started many many years ago collecting videos of ethnic musics from the all corners of the world i have this huge curiosity to see what an es- what is music for an Eskimo? How oh, wow. do they make music there? Yes. For instance. I wish we could have a lot, a lot more time, Katarina. Kata, oh. as we call you. I have my, my final question, which I'm asking all the guests, and it would be great to hear your answer. So we know now, although we, we still need more and more role models, Uh, in all positions, we're not only talking about music, but let's talk about music just for for now. We know we have amazing talent, female talent, diverse talent. We know we can access this music, the music by women and uh, female composers and other diverse composers. We have a lot of initiatives helping people to do that, including ours, but, you know, there are so many others focusing in different um, groups or providing different types of things. In your opinion then, why is this music still not being played as it should be in concert halls? Because we don't really have excuses for not having uh, concert programs that have inclusion in every single program. At least this is my opinion, my personal opinion. You know, we have the internet, we have the resources, we just need a little bit of interest. The audiences, in my opinion as well, they're very open. Every time we perform, I perform a a music which is unknown to an audience. The reception is amazing. It really kind of sparkles the curiosity in people. So I don't see any negative side in not including. So in your opinion, what's the biggest cause? Although I know there are many. And what is the thing that we should all be doing that could make the bigger and faster change in this situation. We need to play. We need to play the works by women more and more and more and more to let people get to know them. And I think the the answer to your first question, why we are not doing this, why the orchestra are not, it's prejudice. Take, for instance, the Easter Sonata. The Easter Sonata was hailed as the masterpiece of Felix Mendelssohn. So manly-like, so full of... uh, uh, What is the male hormone? It's not estrogen. Testosterone. So full of testosterone. (laughs) Well, they discovered it was Fanny's Mendelssohn who wrote the Sonata. I know, right? How is that? How is that? So... It's just prejudice. So, you know, she would do wonderfully if she would publish her works under a male last name. 
But that was in the 19th century. We are in the 21st century. Come on. Yeah. We don't need, we shouldn't have to resort to that kind of thing anymore. We should put ourselves right there. This is music by women. We are talking, in my case, now I'm going to speak for me. I'm talking about my experience, my universe, my story. That's my thing. You know, just put it out there. And whoever likes it, likes it. Whoever doesn't, doesn't. But we need to be out there. That's a great advice. So all the women composers listening, just be out there and then make them listen. I, I, I do think that I, I realized this too late in my life, I think, that how it can be more difficult for you guys as composers because we as singers, as we can sing. You need us. So you need us to, so your voice can be heard. So I think I'm also always um, talking to my colleagues, you know, take this time now and research a little bit and include include things in your repertoire. One piece, one, two, three, you're going to see how, how much is going to grow really, really quickly. You know, there's lots of repertoire to be played and audiences will love it. And in a small way, it, it's really a contribution to a better society because you never know who is going to be listening to that piece and who is going to be questioning, oh, a woman wrote that, so maybe... I can also do this. And it sometimes it doesn't have to be become a composer. It can be become anything else which is not being represented as it should be. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yourself. Yourself. That's it. Not even composer or pianist or singer. Just yourself. That's it. Exactly. Whatever you want to be. That's my motto. Yeah. <laughs> It's a great motto. It's a shame that we are not taught this motto earlier on in our uh, careers, at least for me. I don't know. I felt like I had to fit a box for so long and I never fitted a box. So eventually you just set yourself free, right? And then you work. Yeah, it's scary. It's really scary because in our profession, craft is really important. So you have to hone your craft. You have to work and work and work on your craft. But on the other hand, if you don't allow yourself to be yourself, yeah. are you a true artist? Mm. Yeah. That's a good question. That's or you're a good, good craftsman or a craftswoman. Yeah. But not an artist. For listeners wanting to know more about Donne and everything we do, please check our website on www.donne.uk.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes to subscribe. And while you're there, it would be great if you could rate and review the show and spread the word on social media. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to be with you in our next interview.